welcome to the Swamplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombos. I'm Hannah Rassanen. And I'm James Cohn. And we are recording in Hannah and James's apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamplex. It's been a long time since all four of us have recorded in a room. I'm sure we have plenty of movies to talk about. I've seen some of them with y'all, so I know that we've seen quite a bit of stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's just jump right into it. James, what have you been watching lately? So the two movies I wanted to talk about, I saw separately with two of the Swamp Flakes crew. Me and you did a double feature of Duel, which was, you know, very good. And then the second film we saw that day was Ambulance, which is a new <laughs> Michael Bay. And it blew my mind in the sensory overload sense of it. And like I left the theater broken <laughs> physically, <laughs> physically and broke you. Um, a shattered man. Yeah. And first of all, the movie is two and a half hours long. It doesn't let up. And they employed these professional drone uh, operators to do these crazy shots that just weave all through the air, through buildings, under cop cars. And um, that with Michael Bay's typical style, it just like was a really overloading experience that I actually enjoyed, but it was very exhausting <laughs> and memorable. Yeah, it's not like normal drone operator stuff where like usually drones are hired to up the budget by making it look like you have a helicopter. So like they'll do like a lot of aerial shots that are just kind of like slow, like ambient um, establishing shots. Michael Bay hired drone racers who um, do these like propulsive, like fast, like zoom in shots Mm -hmm. where you feel like physically nauseated, like you're riding a roller coaster. And he uses them constantly, like before there's even a car chase, just like showing the outside of a building, like establishing where you are. And it feels like you're going to throw up. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty wild. And the other thing I'll say is there is a scene in here. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. That Texas Chainsaw Massacre scene on the bus bus is a close second, but this might be, I think this takes the cake as the most fun, ridiculous scene I've seen all year. Is it on a bus? It's on an ambulance. No, it's on an ambulance. (laughs) So You could say specifically one of the most ridiculous scenes in a moving vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, the EMT is trying to do surgery on this cop who's been shot. His spleen, uh, she has to remove his spleen, but she can't do it because she's an EMT, not a doctor. So she gets on a four-way call with these other doctors who are trying to walk her through how to do it as the ambulance is running from cops and <laughs> weaving in and out. And she like puts it, cuts him open, pulls out his spleen. It explodes. Um, she has to like staple it back together with her hair clip. Ugh. Intensely detailed gore. Like yeah. they show wow. you everything. Yeah. And that's all happening during this high speed chase. And again, with the Michael Bay editing, it's like just a shot a second of like the zoom call, the spleen, the ambulance <laughs> running down the highway. And it's just like, Oh, man, we we had such a blast with that scene. That was wild. Also worth noting, Jake Gyllenhaal is matching this energy in his yes. performance. Oh, Jake amazing. Gyllenhaal is having the time of his life in this movie. <laughs> he's completely wild-eyed. Yeah, and he's like yelling and screaming because the whole thing is like they shot a cop, and if the cop dies, they're going to get charged with mm-hmm. murder of a cop. They can't let that happen. So he's like yelling at her to operate while she's getting instructions. And there's just two doctors on a golf course on this like four-way phone call, like coaching her very <laughs> yeah. casually. 
it's it's really insane. It, like that was worth the price of admission. Awesome, alone. amazing. And then the second movie I saw, I feel like Hana might want to talk about it just because yeah. I think I really really liked it. I feel like Hannah loved it, and so maybe she wants to touch on that. I would love to touch on that. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so the film that James is referring to is Aline. It premiered at Cannes. Which is insane. In 2021. <laughs> yeah. It is insane. In 2021. <laughs> okay, so it was released here in 2022. It was directed and written by um, Valerie. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I know she has a little accent on the E, so that's why I said it that way. Um, Le Mercier. From what I understand, she wanted to make a biopic about Celine Dion. Uh, She could not obtain the rights to Celine Dion's story. However, she could obtain the rights to some of of Celine Dion's songs. (laughs) So she made a movie about a woman named... Aline Dieu, uh, which is just like a beat for beat retelling of Celine Dion's life from her humble upbringing in Quebec to her like superstardom, including like performing all of her songs. And kind of like her imprisonment in this like Vegas contract that never ends. Yeah. <laughs> like she's right. not happy performing the same show right. over and over again at the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As a side note, I loved that like showing her routine of the Vegas and then like rushing home to come and see her um, her child. It was so sweet. Anyway. Okay. So, <laughs> so the woman who wrote and directed this film also stars as Celine Dion or <laughs> Aline Dieu from childhood <laughs> until adulthood. So she is in the like very beginning of the movie performing with her family band and she just like ambles up with her skinny little like sh- like digitally shrunken limbs and her strange like 57 57 year old face but like with childish glee she's a little goblin yeah she does look, she looks exactly like a little goblin very surreal so i I didn't really know anything about Celine Dion. I really don't like biopics. And everything James and I had read about this indicated like this movie is terrible. It's like very disturbing in terms of the visual effects. And so I was just ready. I had no reason to like this movie. I went in ready to um, not to like it. And I, for the first 15 minutes, I was a little put off. And then I spent the rest of the movie just crying. <laughs> I I loved it so much. Um, I thought it was so lighthearted. There wasn't any, like, deep conflict. And normally that bothers me, but this was just, like, utterly delightful. Her professional career seems like not rocky. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like she's really fine. Obstacles in and her way. I liked even the moments that could have been played for like pathos. Like, so she goes on a honeymoon with her manager turned husband, who's like 29 years older Frené. than she is. Frené. Um, <laughs> And they, the film shows them like having a grand old time. He's eating like all of this meat. He's only eating meat. And then they go to lunch and he's like, oh, I'll just have a little salad. Um, and then he has a heart attack. But, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm intrigued. But he's, okay, he, he's fine. <laughs> but they sh- what they show <laughs> is... Not a So they don't show, but they don't show he's that really happen. Dead, right, he is well, he dead now. Later, he yeah. did die later. Yeah. No, I know, I know he <laughs> he's dies. He's fine. In the moment, immediately after the heart attack, he is fine. 
Um, but what they show, instead of showing, like, the heart attack and the drama of the, you know, and, like, her, her like, they show her telling the story to a talk show host, and he's sitting in the crowd and everyone's laughing. And that's kind of how all of these moments of, like, potential trauma and hardship are treated. It's like you see the moment immediately before and after, um, but they don't kind of plumb the actual moment of uh, whatever horrible thing happens. Yeah, I don't know. I, Brandon, I know you saw it. Uh, I don't know what you thought of it, but I am totally immune to anybody not liking this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it in an empty theater. Like, literally no one else was there. And I think that's probably appropriate. Like, I feel like if you walked in to this not knowing you were going to see a fully adult middle-aged person right. play a 12-year-old, you might be, like, really put off by it. But, you know. It sounds beautiful. Only the people who are prepared are likely to show right. up. Right, Yeah. I didn't like it as much as y'all did, but I, what I, okay, I think it nails like the two things I know about Celine Dion very well. One, she makes extremely goofy faces and is like a goofy <laughs> person in real yeah. life. So like casting this, self-casting yourself as uh, this like child version of her makes sense. And two, she married someone who was like 30 years older her, than her yeah. that she met when she was 12. And that's weird as hell. Right. Yeah. Super And the weird. movie doesn't. Really address that. Yeah. It's, the mom's mad about it. Right. For like, yeah, a little bit. She gets over it. Yeah. I mean, I think what I really liked about it was kind of like how we felt about Barb and Star last year. Just like, I like movies that are just willing to be silly. And it seemed like if you're going to make a biopic, which is already kind of idol worship, like, why not have it just capture the essence of the person? And I feel like this movie captured the essence of Celine. Dion and it's just like it's silly it's fun there's a little bit of conflict and heartache but she you know life moves on and just I don't know I really liked that instead of the typical biopic where it's like ooh, they rise to fame and then they get addicted to drugs and th then they're like in the dark period and then they come out the other side this has none of that like Hannah said there's very little conflict and it's just like Let's celebrate this person. They're, they're a good mm -hmm. person. They're silly. And let's have a good time and sing some songs. And it is also genuinely funny in quite a few parts. It's got like a my big fat Greek wedding style humor to it. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, it's very like broad, like crowd pleaser comedy. But the, the thing is like the director is a comedian. Like that's what she's famous for in France. Uh, not that I've ever heard of her before. But right. like mm -hmm. it'd be like if Adam Sandler played a Clifford style like <laughs> child character <laughs> <laughs> but it was supposed to be sincere and you weren't supposed to laugh at it. Right. The movie feels like it's like honoring her more than it's like trying to make a goofy show out of her life. But the thing that was like weird to me is like by not talking about the age difference stuff and by like paving over it to make mm -hmm. it look normal. It made me think about it constantly because like they keep reinforcing how old she is throughout the movie. Like, yeah, I am 12 years old. I am 17 right. years old. And the entire time from the moment she meets this adult man, she is in love with him. She's like huffing his cologne and like right. taking a picture of him to bed. Which she apparently really did. All this stuff is based on. But imagine watching a 12 year old without an adult's face do right. that stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's like they like smoothed out how weird that is by make by doing an even weirder choice. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like she really did love this man. And who am I to, you know, I, I'm sure he, that's he has some <laughs> she did predatory. Love Renee. She really loved it. Like it's weird. That's all I'm saying. It is weird. It is <laughs> but weird, the, but they were true but love. The it. movie, it's their romance is so sweet in this movie. Where like 
When That's he, weird. When he first, but Brandon, when he first it seems gets like... into when he, when he first gets into bed with her, I'm like, I like looked over at Han. I was like, oh my god, this is. And well, don't it, worry. They wait till she's 20, and she says, right. "I'm 20" a bunch of times, and right. invites him in bed. I am legal. <laughs> yeah, legal. but like, it, it's so sweet. The rest well, of their she's romance. Trying to, it seems like what I'm hearing. I haven't seen this. I'm literally dying to see it though. <laughs> um, it seems like she's trying to embody like the Celine, <laughs> like Celine, and it's like if, that's so Celine. Oh yeah, you know but what I mean. So I think that's probably why. Yeah, right. Like we're going from Celine's lens. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm like super interested in this because the only thing I know about like Celine's upbringing is that she was poor. Mm-hmm. Um. Because there was this commercial that would play and repeat when I was younger. Of Celine Dion, be like, we used to, we were so poor, and I would just play on ketchup bottles and sing. She does mention the ketchup. She does talk about ketchup. Oh my God. We <laughs> would eat ketchup on ketchup at the end of the month. I this I read commercial the was like on all the time. I don't know what product it was for, if it was like just like a commercial to support. For Celine, yeah. but like it sticks in my head all the time to the point where like my every time a Celine song plays on the radio, my mom and my dad's like, "Hey, you know she's, she's really poor. <laughs> she used to play on ketchup bottles to make music. Amazing, it's a thing." Yeah, I That's also good. I had the same thought about especially when he finally gets into bed with her and he's like, "I'll be your first if you want if me you to." Want. Yeah, and I was like, if this woman looked even a little bit 20 this would be so disturbing right. but she looks 50 thank god she's, <laughs> young face. she's her a little young handshake body. stuff and no it yeah. is cute no i yeah so I, adorable. Like, I love it despite all of my like instincts of integrity it succeeded in paving over how disturbing this relationship was all i'm saying is that it is weird Yes. But it is also kind of sweet in yes. real life. And the movie finds a way to do that without like souring you on it. Yeah. Like, it is deeply Agreed. strange mm-hmm. dynamic in the movie. And it is sweet in the movie. And she looks so fucking goofy throughout yeah. it. And Celine Dillon's not a cool person. Like, she's an amazingly talented, beautiful person. But she's not like, just not like a cool, detached yeah. rock star right. thing. She makes goofy faces oh, when she man. sings and in interviews and stuff. And the movie you know, does that constantly because right. someone who's older than her is playing a younger mm-hmm. version yeah. of herself. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so just see it and make your own. Yeah. Uh, it's a freak show. Yeah. yeah. I just, this movie. But a very, uh, very heartwarming freak show. <laughs> right. It's really. like sometimes y- you wonder like, or I don't, not everybody wonders this. Sometimes I wonder like, do I have my own opinions? Do I have my own thoughts about things? And then I see a movie like this and I say yes, because nobody can tell me that this movie is not good. I love this movie. You are feeling so strong about this, and I, I love know, it. I know. I'm inspired. I really am. I, uh, I hope you like it, Brittany. I hope you do. I've been texting you about it. Like, you have to see this. <laughs> I think you text me about it twice, and each time I'm like, yes, yes. Um, so I'm glad it's still in theaters. I might a- One more week. attempt yeah. to catch it. But Brittany, uh, since you have not watched Aileen, what have you been watching? <laughs> So I I've, I've been watching a bunch of um Tubi trash. Amazing. Yep. And <laughs> so, <laughs> one movie I watched, I really think Brandon would like it. It was super bizarre. I love this movie. I'm contemplating us watching it for movie of the month at some point. Let's do it. It's called The Fear from 1995. Is that an evil doll movie? Yes. Okay, I've I've heard of that. I haven't seen it. <sighs> So, 
this movie is directed by Vincent Robert, <laughs> and it's his only credit. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good sign. That's a great <laughs> sign. And also, um, I found that there is a sequel to this called, like, The Fear Resurrection from 1999. And, like, I saw that the director was Chris Angel, but it's not the Chris Angel we're thinking of. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, I'm dying to watch the sequel. So it could be also a fun double feature. Well, this movie is about a group of, like, college students. But they're older college students. Like, they look like they're in their 30s, but they're, like, college seniors. And they go to this, like, cottage in the woods to do this, like, fear experiment. And the guy who's leading the fear experiment, it's his, like, family cottage. Like, both his parents are dead. And it's, like, you know, family cottage in, like, a family town, too. Like, his uncle shows up. And his uncle is, like, the town Santa Claus. And he's in a Santa Claus costume, but it's not the wintertime. And he has, like, this young, like, foreign girlfriend who's, like, blonde and he's older. It's just super bizarre. But they show up to the to the cottage, too. And as this experiment starts, like, everyone has to kind of, like, say what their fear is. And they have to say it to Morty. Morty is this human-sized carved wood figure oh my god and he sits in a chair they all go up and be like i'm scared of water and then they like it's almost like he pulls the fear out of them too and then the guy that's running the experiment like morty is like his childhood like doll even though it's like five foot six and when it's his turn to like say what his fear is he's like it's you, Morty. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so this is a romance movie. It's a romance. <laughs> so Morty kind of like wreaks havoc on all these people in this like cottage and in this like little town. Like all their fears kind of start coming true a little bit, and like weird shit starts happening, and then like when something bad happens, like Morty's like frozen in the background kind of, it's like, Oh my God, how did he get here? Is he doing this? Also among the college group is the college campus rapist at the oh, same geez. time. Oh, <laughs> so it's just, it's bizarre. Um, so there's like all kinds of weird stuff happening. So it's like, is it Morty? Is it the rapist? Is the rapist among them? Like, it's just insane. And they all go on this like little night trip to this, amusement park in the town and his uncle like runs the amusement park and it's like super creepy it's full of like wooden dolls and like shit like this and it's like super like i don't know like this like rinky dink little park and of course horrible crap happens there as well but we just kind of start to you start to think like is morty alive is this all being made up i don't want to say what happens but it's awesome (laughs) um and a lot of things are revealed. A lot of uh, childhood trauma gets revealed in the end. Oh There's a scene where someone is coming out of a grave. It just turns like batshit crazy at the end with all kinds of really cool, like cheap 90s special effects. Yes. Um, but I just love this. Like, I wish if y'all have the chance, like Google Morty from The Fear, and it is the creepiest looking thing ever. And he just like, pauses in windows and stuff like that it's it's insane i can picture the cover which is like 
him almost making like a serial killer face, but he's and like he's made out wooden. of wood. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's him. <laughs> okay. I, I just looked it up and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well we're gonna and we're gonna watch it. Say no. I'm just imagining yeah. <laughs> being a child with a five foot six. It makes wooden doll. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes sense in here. It's a bunch of. It's just like there's so much weird shit that's thrown at you, and you're like, "Is this gonna get explained?" And it isn't. And I love that. Um, so I had a lot, a lot, a lot of fun with this movie, and it's on Tubi. And Amazing. there's a sequel that I'm looking for. So yeah, that's um the big big discovery of mine. Mm. Um, so what about you, Brandon? <laughs> I got a movie through the library on Blu-ray, which is rare because I usually only buy DVDs. That wasn't particularly great, but I'm going to bring it up anyway because it's thematically relevant to today's episode. Great. Uh, it's a new release from DC Comics, who do a lot of those like straight-to-DVD animated feature films mm-hmm. like all throughout the year. It's stuff that like only your real nerd friends know about. Like we, I think we did one for Movie of the Month called Under the Red Hood. Uh, it was like a Batman movie. Oh, we did. It was Boomer's uh, yeah. Choice. I like that one. It was good. But like they make those like they make like five of those a year. Yeah. You don't really see most of them. But I really liked one a few years ago called Batman Ninja. That was like an anime take on it where they like hired a Japanese director to like redo all these like character designs. Oh, very cool. Cool. Um, and I liked it a lot. It was like very visually expressive and like imaginative. Um, and this year there's a new one called Catwoman Hunted. Um, oh. And it's basically like a Catwoman anime redesign. It's fine. Like, it's, like, good afternoon viewing, but it's got this, like, cool visual look to it because they just, like, redrew all the, like, Batwoman and Catwoman and a few other side characters, like, as anime redesigns. And then they throw, like... I mean, Catwoman's doing, like, her normal shit. Like, she's, like, stealing jewels and, like, doing cat puns and, like, hitting on everybody. Amazing. Uh, (laughs) And then they throw, like, mech suit warriors and like ninjas and uh demons and stuff at her like like very stock anime characters for her to like thwart um and the whole thing has this very jazzy score to it so it kind of resembles cowboy bebop like stylistically um which i just Mm. watched all of cowboy bebop for the first time i love cowboy bebop it's a cool little like afternoon animated feature I've just like this episode, we're talking about anime, and I was just thinking about like the various ways that I watch anime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had forgotten that DC Comics has like a little anime sub thread that they've been like working on. Um, Batman Ninja is is like definitely worth seeking out. Yeah. If you liked that, um, Catwoman Hunted is also good. It's fine. Cool. <laughs> Those sound like fun. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not a real b- big comic book person, but I was raised on. Tim Burton's Batman movies, especially his version of Catwoman in mm-hmm. Batman Returns. The one Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. yeah. It's good. So, like, any novelty Batman thing, I'm there for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of which, the new Batman movie is on um, HBO Max now. I need to catch up oh, with that. Oh, man. Yeah. Gotta Very good. It. Well, today we are talking about anime. Uh, real anime, not um, this, like, DC uh, anime adjacent stuff. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> but, uh, we're going to talk about, like, the classics. Uh, mm-hmm. These are, like a starter pack of like basic yeah, anime sure. things. The anime gateway. I looked up a couple lists, like 30 greatest anime movies of all time. And this, all four of these all movies of these were on there. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Perfect. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. Nima was a pop star who desired to become an actress. But sometimes aspirations can be deadly. Excuse me. Who are you? Excuse me. Who are you? Five Satoshi seconds. Four, animated psychological three, thriller. Two. Perfect blue. 
it was my turn to pick the topic this week, and I decided to uh, go back to my roots and just delve into um, a wide topic and just uh, talk about anime movies. There were two movies that I wanted to pick for this episode. One of them we're going to talk about later, and the other is a film directed by one of my favorite anime directors, Satoshi Kon. He also directed Paprika, and he did a TV show that I really like called Paranoia Agent. Um, but th- I think this is the second film I saw by him, or maybe, no, it was the third one. Millennium Actress is also good. This was his first directorial attempt. Um, it is a film about a woman named Mima, who is a J-pop idol who transitions into um, becoming an actress. And it follows her psychological breakdown during this transition. Basically, she is this like um, B-level idol. She starts off her film career, or it's she's in a TV show. And she starts off with like one or two lines and she's put into these like very exploitative situations by a screenwriter and then a photographer. So she's kind of like trudging through the shit that you have to go through basically to make it in film, which is in conflict with this like picture perfect J-pop idol image that she's um, created. And then parallel to this, Somebody has created this um, web page for her. It seems like this is a time when, like, the internet was still in its nascency. Oh, the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so someone has made a blog called Mima's Room, and they're basically pretending to be her, but going into detail about her day-to-day life to, like, a disturbing degree. Like, Mima's not sure how this person knows all this information, Uh, So she feels kind of like this threat from someone who may or may not be like stalking her. The people that she is surrounding herself with in the film industry are like horrible, violent things are happening to them. Um, She is feeling guilty for kind of shattering her squeaky clean image and like feeling guilt that her fans might be disappointed in her and feeling conflicted about whether she is becoming someone else and there's like this real um, personality split which is also discussed explicitly in the tv show that she's acting in so this is a very like recursive fantasy reality refractory film and i i really love it it's did darren aronofsky buy the rights for this film I think I I remembered something about that. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of... It's very similar in some ways to Black Black Swan. Swan, Yeah. Yeah. And I really love Satoshi Kon because I feel like he does this very cool, disturbing, psychological... um, Not always horror, but like... He's very good at making these like unsettling, dreamy mindscapes that I really appreciate. He's also an easy anime director to get into because unfortunately he died like super young. Right. Yeah, at 46. So he's only got like four movies. Yeah. Uh, Tokyo Godfathers is Mm -hmm. the other one. Yep. It's easy. Well, first of all, his stuff's easy to love because it's fucking great. Yeah, it's so good. (laughs) And it still has somewhat of like cool cred. 
Right. But it is wildly popular stuff. Like, he's, like, one of the big ones. And, yeah, it's just, like, an easy filmography to get into. We're, like... You'll hear about an anime TV show that sounds great, but has like 300 episodes. You're like, I'm never going <laughs> to right. that. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. Even, even though it is anime, it, yeah, it did remind me of Aronofsky or mm-hmm. like uh, Brian De Palma. Kind yeah, of totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was picking up on that. And I think like the first one I ever got into of his was Paprika. And mm-hmm. we watched a lot of that in college. Like, yeah. A lot. Yeah. Because like. I had never seen any, I wasn't into anime in high school or any, like it was a whole new world for me. And that movie blew my fucking mind. Uh, This one feels more like something I'd maybe had kind of seen in like a De Palma sort of flick. But um, what I found interesting rewatching it was like, I kind of have a problem with some of the anime stuff, even in this episode, like the way they treat women, I think is a little disturbing. And like, this one seemed to be about that right. to some degree. And I appreciated that perspective mm-hmm. kind of pointing out so, sort of the ickiness in some of the anime and, you know, in the genre. Yeah. And I think another thing I like about his films in general is that he does, I feel like he really focuses on Japanese pop culture and like how that impacts the social psyche as a whole he does that in paranoia agent too like he talks about like idol culture and like parasocial relationships in other films he talks about like how exploitative the film industry is in general he also like uh, paranoia agent deals with this woman who makes these like cartoon mascots so he has a lot and and in multiple films he has these like cutesy kind of creatures that are really disturbing. And that speaks to like, you know, Japanese culture has a lot of, you know, like Hello Kitty, like these really adorable mascots, but also there is like deep trauma in Japanese culture, especially like right before like the fifties and sixties, like the industrialization and like hyper technifying of their culture so I appreciated that, too. Like, there is a lot of, like, really disgusting treatment towards women in anime. And the first rape scene in this film, like, kind of deals with that head on. That fucked me up watching it in the theater. Uh, they did this, like, 20-year anniversary reissue of it where they really cleaned it up digitally. And I went into the movie not knowing what it was going to be about. Yeah. Just that I loved Paprika. Right. Uh, and I really loved it. But that rape scene, like, chilled me, especially seeing it with, like, a packed audience. I was just, like, deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. And then what bothered me more watching it this time was not that, because the movie ended up being about the misogyny in the industry. Yeah. And what bothered me a little more was, like, Paprika and Millennium Actress in particular do a lot visually that you can do in no other medium. Mm -hmm. Like, it does something that only animation can pull off and, like your imagination is like the only thing limiting you with like what you can do on screen. Yeah. And then like what James was saying, this is more just like a thriller, like a nineties thriller that just happens to be animated. Yeah. So this was his first, again, this was his directorial debut and the original, I was reading a little bit about it. The original script was a really straightforward, like there's a pop idol. Someone is stalking her and it's a horror movie. That was kind of it. And he wanted to take it somewhere else. 
but he had to he was forced to like keep those three tenants basically but then he so i feel like he was starting from an even more straightforward slate and then he got some interesting visual stuff in there but i feel like as he continued on in his career that part really developed a lot more is there like anything to like I don't know that much about like culture in Japan and everything like that. But whenever she was part of like the girl group, Mm -hmm. how like everyone in the audience was like a dude, (laughs) like there were no female fans at all. Yeah. At all. I kept like rewatching it. I'm like all adult men too. It's just a bunch of old men. So gross. I actually don't think that that's accurate, but I do think that there is like a big culture of like, kind of gross obsessive male fans that's what like part of me couldn't figure out if it was like a some like weird club she was a part of where she just dressed up like a like the lolita which makes me Mm -hmm. uncomfortable like dress up like a kid but in a sexy way and then a bunch of dudes like fawn at you it was just very bizarre and i think too like i was reading a little bit about it because um one of the other directors we're going to talk about, he actually was talking about anime and that there is like this kind of gross subculture of disenfranchised young men who are obsessed with anime and manga. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's otaku. Otaku. Yeah. And it's the term is kind of like become more complex, but it can be used in a derogatory way. And I feel uh-huh. like that's what a lot of the gross guys in this movie that's kind of what it's those guys yeah that term is getting at i want i wonder if it's like she's not popular yet to have like a wide audience and like only men who will go to see any pop group just like ogle at the women who shows up well yeah because a lot of the guys there it like it also kind of doesn't seem like they care that much about them honestly right like no one's like a super fan of that particular pop right. or of their art yeah right the Which, songs are banging song, though yeah. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. yeah i um found the floating to be completely disturbing <laughs> oh yeah that's the one time the animation really kicks off yeah and it happens like anytime she like is having her like moment where she sees herself mm-hmm. like her self that's like out of her body is just like floating, but it is super duper fast. I love that that part where she's like jumping on the like light posts. Yeah, the mm-hmm. is really cool. And it, yeah, like kind of like we were talking about earlier though. There's only like a few moments like that that feel outside of what you might see if a a good director that knows how to do a psychological thriller mm-hmm. would do. I mean, it can be yeah. done, but yeah, I think it's also obscuring something too because like. There is a killer who is dressed as her in the movie. Yes. And she's imagining her old self instead of like seeing the person dressed as her. Oh, but that so, moment where it goes in and out of the person yeah. versus her mm-hmm. seeing her like, oh, it is yeah. so because like the person who is right her, quote unquote, <laughs> just looks so bad whenever like that filter of her face comes on and off. Where, I don't know, not that I want to, like, judge the way that 
a female anime character looks, but <laughs> she was just so creepy. It looks like her face was just like smushed, like her eyes are all wonky, mm-hmm. and it just looks like she has like smeared lipstick almost, like yeah. just deranged. Yeah. And then to go from that in an instant to like, you know, a cutesy, like chiseled face, mm-hmm. you know, wide eyed pop star face was just so. So bizarre and so De Palma. <laughs> I think that's what the movie has going for it strongest is that it's creepy as fuck. It yeah. is. It's, it's so, so disturbing. Creepy. Yeah. Especially the there's moments where like people are faceless, which Ooh, always that yes. always creeps me mm-hmm. out in any movie. Yeah. And that, also just very convenient when you're drawing a bunch yeah. of people in a crowd. <laughs> well, true. Detail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just found it very chilling both times I watched it. I bought the Blu-ray of that restoration and it looks fucking fantastic. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, yeah it just really chilling and obviously uh pushes all my like evil internet buttons because uh, it has that like retro mid 90s she's like asking about urls and she's yeah, so confused yes, about how to like use the web browser and it's weird like it's a time when the internet actually wasn't as fucked up and disturbing as it is now like it used to just be this like collection of like niche interests like message groups and like mm-hmm. bulletin boards and angel fire sites right but it was already like a tool of misogyny and like um you know like cornering women right uh, at the time and like invading her privacy and all this stuff like yeah it was immediately used that way even though it's easy to be nostalgic about like the simpler times of yeah the internet. yeah and i think the fear and paranoia that would develop at finding somebody who's kind of dictating your life like now that seems like such an obvious thing that happens like we have a show called catfish you know Mm -hmm. that's like oh yeah someone stole all of your pictures and created an okay but like as she's reading this at the like very beginning of the internet where this kind of thing could happen where someone could just create this page and pretend to be you it is very disturbing and An like evil blog yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah i mean all they're really doing is pretending to be her and saying you know like oh my, my screenwriter is horrible and he forced me to do all these things like basically it's just saying things that the main character isn't writing but it still feels extremely intrusive it i don't know how to like piece that out but it almost feels like it is things that she might be feeling but burying deep down exactly and then when those people end up dead the next day it's like did i kill them right i don't have a firm grasp on reality right now i got the bloody clothes (laughs) i I was thinking about that kind of with like again that rape scene which is awful but so many actresses that have done rape scenes and I always wonder like were you pressured to do this or mm-hmm. you know you felt like this is what I needed to do to take my career to like a more dramatic level and also being on set like you know like you said when right, he's the whispering to you like yeah, oh no it's okay like, and I'm you gotta sorry. cut for the break and then right. I'll get back into character like and there's so, it seems so many movies creepy. that have rape scenes when you think about oh, it oh yeah like I probably feel like of every movie I watch is probably like one out of three Anytime I'm watching a new movie from the 70s that I haven't seen before, I like brace myself. Yes. Like, okay, yeah. this is probably going to happen. Here it is. Yeah, like, I, I think, especially that moment where they stop for, I can't remember why they stop, but. Um, so, like, reset the camera or yeah, something. And yeah, and then the guy is on top of her, and then he backs up, and then they're like, no, hold your places. And it's like she has to stay in this moment of stasis, and the actor 
you know, he's being as respectful as he can be. Mm-hmm. He's saying, you know, like, I'm I'm so sorry about this and, like, understands that it's not a good situation. But just how odd it would be for your body to just become your job. And, like, you have to stay in that moment until it's done, basically. Mm-hmm. Chilling. <laughs> yeah. Since anime is, like, a medium and not a genre, do you mm-hmm. think this is, like, firmly an erotic thriller? Because it's, like, still in that sweet spot when, like, America was making a bunch of those. Yeah. And there's a lot of erotically charged stuff, but, like, it's not sexy. And, like, it's, like, yeah. very upsetting. I think of it more as, like, a psycholo- like a pure psychological Yeah. Thriller. Like, it's definitely Black Swan terror. Like, I don't... There, I mean, there are parts of Black Swan that are erotic, but the majority of it is, like, very uncomfortable, like, fear. Right. It's a cold um, movie. Yeah. But I guess, too, the question I have is... I mean, maybe we should have started with this question, but kind of what is, by definition, anime? Is just Japanese, Japanese animation. animation. <laughs> yeah. But some Done of the ones... in this specific style, though, because like some right. animation from Japan looks like, you know, Cartoon Network or Right, and that's SpongeBob what I was going to say. There's something. one like, we're going to talk about later that that's what I think about when I think of anime. It's like, I will challenge you to a a duel and you know it's like broad <laughs> yeah. language and fight sequences and i this <laughs> is like very high art yeah anime to me but i guess i just am not familiar enough with the genre yeah i mean i think when a lot of people think of anime they think of like anime tropes like dragon ball z yeah you know like extended fight scenes and people like narrating action aloud mm. but but I think simply it is just animation that is originated from Japan and it has a particular art style, Mm -hmm. you know, but people don't like draw in that art style to make it anime necessarily. There are a bunch of American kids who learn how to draw by like drawing anime cells. I was absolutely one of them. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's it's hard to like talk about this medium without like fetishizing it because it literally is like just animation that happens to be from another culture. Mm-hmm. But they have held on to like a visual hand-drawn artistry in a way that like American animation industry has just like moved on from. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot of 2D animated stuff in America right now. And I just saw, uh, you know, Bell in the theater like, oh, recently. Yeah. And it's like another like kind of spooky internet movie uh, mm-hmm. with like, there's a lot of computer stuff like smoothing out the transitions and things like that. But like a lot of it is like hand-drawn character work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if there is like a unifying thing about it. Like it is like reductive to call it all the same thing. Yeah. It's animation, but because it's in a Japanese style, (laughs) it is anime. But you wouldn't call like violence Voyager anime, even though it's a Japanese director doing like a weird animation style. (laughs) But would you call an American that was doing that style? Would you call that anime? Like uh, like the Boondocks or like kind yeah. of drawn that way. I mean, way. that's a style. That is an anime style. I just like look at it as like the yeah. style of like how the characters are drawn and like how their movements are. You know, like it's very like sharp and there's like little lines that like inflict like the movements and stuff yeah. like yeah. this. And it's you all know, like all the faces look the same. It's either gi- gigantic goo goo eyes and like a very very sharp chin or it's pulling from like a manga tradition right like there's yeah. like an even longer yeah. tradition of like comic book work right that's like visually influencing it right my without um really knowing whether this is true or not it's like to me we refer to anime in the same way that we refer to like a sombrero like 
in the U.S. a sombrero is a Mexican hat. It's like a very particular style of hat. But in Spanish, like sombrero just means hat, you know? So (laughs) I, I think anime is the equivalent of just like us saying this is animation. But for us, it's so distinct from the American style of drawing and animation that it's like a totally different. That um, makes sense. I get it. What really like fucks me up about it is that it seems like this like niche nerd thing, but Mm -hmm. like everybody watches this stuff. Like it's like one of the most popular art forms in the world. Yeah. We, (laughs) I had a tiny argument with you (laughs) Really? About, no, it, it wasn't really an argument. Just that I'm still stuck in the mode of like being very because pre- I loved anime when I was in high school and middle school, but I was also like very embarrassed for loving it. So I was very like protective of that. You know, it's like when when you are interested in something nerdy and then people make fun of you and it's like, no, this is cool and you you suck for not liking it. And then later it's like. Oh, this is a mainstream thing, and I don't have to be protective of this anymore. It's like how like um, people who are bullied for reading comic books are still like, "I'm super right. nerdy. I like Marvel yeah, movies." Yeah, exactly. It's like everybody yeah. watches those. Yeah. So then we were talking <laughs> about it, and I, I was like, "Yeah," and I, I just, you know, anime is cool, and there are some really, you know, it's not just um, Inuyasha, which I also used to love as a kid. Do you love and, Inuyasha? Um, and you were like, "Yeah." I think a lot of people like anime. I was like, oh, maybe that's true. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but it, it's still daunting. Like I, because I did not grow up watching that in high school. I feel like I can never say I'm a fan of anime mm-hmm. yeah. because I don't have that mental library of like references. It was so hard for me to like watch anime in high school until I like found a friend that knew how to burn DVDs and stuff for <laughs> me and got me to like cowboy bebop. But oh my gosh. Um, when I was in high school, bleach, became a thing like it had just started mm-hmm. and i used to like have to wait for like the dvds of like 20 episodes of pop to come out at like sam goody to like ke- keep up with it and then it got to the point where i'm just like i can't keep spending like 20 dollars like every couple of months and then it just got to the point where there were hundreds of like episodes yeah. and i'm like i, I got so overwhelmed because this is before like you know anything was like available and like you know streaming wise or whatever everything was like limewire so it was just hard to like get my hands on it. So like I would just kind of look for like completed seasons. Yes. And that's like I think how I got like the front door into anime like and they were all short like fully coolly. <gasps> that one's Oh my god, that I one love fully cool. Cool. Yeah. It's like eight episodes. episodes. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's short and sweet things a reader yeah. die was another yeah. one that I liked a lot. Um just like ones that were short and sweet because they were cheap. <laughs> I watched yeah. Neon Genesis for the first time recently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Yeah. But then I looked at like, since the show ended, there's like four different reiterations. Yeah. There's like Neon it's Genesis 2.0. It gets, <laughs> oh, it gets overwhelming because I'm like, yeah. where do you even start? I don't feel like doing homework. Like, give me yeah. like a very tight I, package. Right. I feel like I've always, because kind of like Brandy, I never was into it in high school. I always have seeked it out when it's already matched what I was already into. So like Paprika, it was like, I heard like, Oh, this trippy movie about right. dreams and alternate reality. I was like, hell yeah, that sounds cool. Or like the, um, Jigoku spiral. Yeah. The manga, right. like, Oh, a cool horror manga about people that are, you know, hypnotized by spirals. Like it's a, it's just like something that I'm already into it. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten it. Like, I don't even know any of these shows that <laughs> y'all are talking yeah. about. I've heard of cowboy bebop. Yeah. That's like, the argument that it's not 
a genre. It's a medium. Like, you're, well, you're talking about different genres you're already interested in. It just happens right. to be rendered in that medium. Yeah. And I think that's like what I would like to buck against the most. Like, even though anime is more mainstream now, I think some people still think of it as this very particular type. It's like Dragon Ball Z, Full Metal Alchemist. Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, truly, every genre of story is represented in anime and there are like anime introduced me to so many cool stories and worlds like in it's just like a wonderful gateway for story that i wish everybody could engage with and that i think everybody can engage with because there is something for everyone and i think we've got something for everyone coming up next walk the earth an epic battle rages between the encroaching civilization of man and the gods of the forest when the forest has been cleared and the wolves wiped out this place will be the richest land in the world now the fate of the world rests on the courage of one fearless princess i'm not afraid to die and i would do anything to get the humans out of here and one brave warrior. You fight like a demon, boy. Like something possessed. What exactly are you here for? To see with eyes unclouded by hate. Now watch closely, everyone. I'm going to show you how to kill a god. Fire! So I think the way we structured this is we're going to go backwards through time. Uh, uh, the next movie we're going to talk about was released the same year as Perfect Blue. Um, and also, as we go backwards, I think it gets even nerdier. Like, it goes from, like, the most basic thing that most people know. Like, as far as we get into, like, anime subculture will be, like, the further we get along. I feel like this movie we're going to talk about now is probably the most well-known Definitely, of, like, yeah. all these by yeah. far. The director in the studio, for sure. Like, Absolutely. whenever you think of, like, anime, yeah. this is it. And I have to preface this by saying that this is one of Hannah's favorite movies of all time. And I'm scared I'm going to do a bad <laughs> oh, job no. with the, with the names and with the plot. But it is Princess Mononoke. And like you say, it came out in 97. My first introduction to this director, Miyazaki, was Spirited Away. Great movie. Yeah, which is great. They, I think, came out a few years later. Mm-hmm. This film, reading up on it, I don't know. Considered one of the greatest animated films of all time it won all sorts of awards it was the biggest box office blockbuster that year in japan not to be beaten until spirit away came out four years later so miyazaki and these films are like a big deal in japanese culture they still are too they still are yeah if you want to go see an anime movie on the big screen even if you live in a small town those like fathom events Every year, it's happening right now, actually. They just played Princess Mononoke, mm-hmm. and then through October, they'll play like a new Miyazaki movie every month on the big screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to see anime, like this is like your easiest bet to go see a Miyazaki movie. Yeah. And I think um, this is a 
pretty astounding film. I don't know. After hearing Hannah, Hannah's <laughs> c- try to get me to watch this for six and a half years. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things that be, kind of became a like a little joke, a bit, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Uh, and I think she used this episode as an excuse to uh, get me to finally watch <laughs> yes, it. I did. And I, as much as I wanted to joke, like, oh, there's just a. Slightly better Fern Gully, or, <laughs> you know, slightly less good as uh, Avatar. Right. Um, oh my god. It's it's really amazing. Uh, I actually, Hannah, do you want to? I feel like you should briefly Are go over sh- the plot. Yeah. Okay. Because like I have trouble with names, mm-hmm. and I feel like the names are important. I struggle with that with all fantasy stuff, where like they dump a bunch of mythology on you, yes. and like yes. there's different warring factions. Like I kind of zone out yeah. <laughs> during like the actual like myth building part. And then like once the like drama heats up, I'm in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah. that's kind of how I felt with this movie. I really loved it as it went along. Yeah. At first kind of the same. You're, you're throwing so many names and tribes and, but anyway, okay. Anna, you want to. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So um, this movie is about this man named Ashitaka. He is a prince in this secluded community. And this boar demon comes to his village. He kills the boar. It's been taken over by this like poisonous hatred. Um, and it's like still black worms that are like yeah oh my out god the worms are so gross it's disgusting they're disgusting it's yeah. so um there's this iron it's kind of like a like a huge bullet basically mm-hmm. lodged into the boar and in killing this boar Ashitaka the worms get on his arm basically and Ashitaka is cursed and the elder in his village says he needs to leave he can he's going to die but he can face the find the source of this um curse and kind of face his fate i do on. love how coldly she tells him get yeah, the hell out of right. this village. She's like, <laughs> like you gotta go on a journey you, can you never cannot go back. stay here uh, don't come right. back you are dead to us <laughs> and this and this poor village too is they're they're just like oh Everyone's you know you're old and dying yeah you were basically our last viable um man in the village and now you're leaving so that's great <laughs> He is canonically hot too. Like He's everywhere so he goes, hot. people want to fuck him. Yeah, he is so fuckable. <laughs> He's such a uh, respectable a, young man. Yeah, though, just yeah. a slender androgynous man, um, and he really does it for everyone. So, so he's traveling to find the source of this iron. Basically, um, he comes upon a lot of various warring people, and eventually he finds a few people that were kind of like pushed off of a cliff in this battle between community members of this place called Irontown and these gods of this great forest. He brings them back to Irontown and he kind of learns more about the conflict between Irontown and the guardians of the great forest that they're destroying to make iron. This village um, has been led by this woman named Lady Aboshi. She's like really taken this town and given them a lot of wealth. She's industrialized it. She has purchased the contracts of all of these brothel workers and she has them working the bellows. She just has like a crowd of badass women. Um, but the guardians of the forest are trying to 
kill her basically and stop Irontown from advancing and destroying the forest. And um, the primary guardians in this conflict are these just amazing wolf gods and Princess Mononoke. And Princess Mononoke was <laughs> an orphan girl who was abandoned by her parents and taken in by this wolf. I don't know if y'all listened to the watch the dubbed or the subbed version. I, I couldn't watched find the sub. I watched the dub. I watched the dub. <laughs> we could not. Oh no, I watched dubbed. Yeah. Right. We, okay. We all Billy watched. We couldn't find yeah. sub. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Princess Mononoke is voiced by Claire Danes, and Moro, the wolf goddess, who's just this huge, beautiful white wolf with two tails, is um, voiced by Jillian Anderson, and she does a great job. It's pretty much like common for anime people to freak out when you watch uh like yeah, dumb stuff absolutely except with ghibli movies right yeah and i think it's because ghibli gets like good voice actors like yeah. it it a lot of dubbed anime is not dubbed well right. it's eloquently yeah. done and i do ghibli. think i think that anime has a lot of dialogue that is like overwrought i mean i think that's kind of the style and i think that it's it like makes more sense to me when it's delivered in Japanese. Like it's less clear that the things that they're saying are kind of are like a little strange. So it, normally it works better for me when I'm listening to the Japanese, but I feel like the dubbed Princess Mononoke is really good. Well, I, I feel like because this is an extremely intelligent, smart script yeah. too. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and the actors that are playing these people are good actors yeah so basically the story follows ashitaka kind of like he's kind of trying to um make sense of the conflict between the forest and iron town and like i think his main goal is to build a resolution between the two but the tensions are escalating like more and more people are getting involved on both sides and it culminates in like a moment of total greed and destruction to just like gl a glorious display um, involving the great forest spirit of the forest, who's this badass, beautiful deer. Just there, if you like beautiful, big, otherworldly forest creatures and you haven't seen this movie, then you have to see this movie. Also, I feel like we talked about or we've talked about a couple of times how we don't like war movies. Mm -hmm. This is a war movie. Oh, that's a great war film. Yeah. And yeah. it is like one this of the best war cool movies. one though. Yeah. yeah. This is a war movie done right. Yeah. Because most war movies are like dusty and just gray and super sad. And there were like obviously sad moments in here, but it was just gorgeous. Like mm -hmm. every, even like the grotesque stuff was yeah. just beautiful. Oh, it's so it's cool. It's still pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Also, most war movies are like macho in a really boring way. Mm -hmm. And this is a war between two women for the most right. part. Like the, yeah. Yeah, Mononoke totally. and the lady who runs Irontown. And then there's the boars who are just like an agent of chaos. Right. And like not <laughs> paying attention. <laughs> just like barreling through the a bunch of boars. boars. But also it's like a lot of war movies, it's pretty black and white morality. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think yes. that was my favorite aspect watching this film for the first time is like how complex it was and how the political relationships like... There was no singular like bad person really. Mm -hmm. Like everyone yeah. was like had their own motivations that kind of made sense and you see like they're battling for resources and it was like a very interesting political dynamic and I, I just thought it yeah. was so intriguing. 
I think probably the the worst person. I don't really want to put a value on people, but the worst person was I think his name is Jigo. Oh, the monk. The little yeah, the monk. And basically, he's the most selfish person. Yeah, like he wants to. Um, the emperor of this place wants to live forever, so he is given a permit <laughs> or a pardon from the emperor to get the head of the forest spirit. And I, I mean, basically, it's like he's doing this totally for his own gain. Everybody else has some stake that involves like care for another person or care for somebody, even Lady Eboshi. I mean, she's ruthless, but her main goal is to like allow for the progress of the people in her town, even though she's what she's doing is like just absolutely destructive right and the, the people in her town respect her mm-hmm. and, yeah you know have a, a standard of living and she's taking care of disabled people and saving women from like forced prostitution yeah yeah, yeah. so i mean right. everyone has like layers to their character mm-hmm. and like in so many animated films i don't feel like you get that yeah especially and you you made the fern gully comparison and i was thinking that too while we were watching this and yeah normally (laughs) those movies are also very black and white it's like the big bad industrialists and then the the total the innocent forest people and this has a little bit of that but i feel like it's always more interesting to like understand the perspective of everybody and more true to life too. yeah that's why it's so hard not to like fetishize japanese animation because it's like if you look at fern gully as the american equivalent like the animation is way lazier <laughs> it's not trying as hard to be as visually impressive mm-hmm. and the conflicts are like very easy morality tales and like aimed at children's moral understanding of the world yeah. and this is like brutal it's so brutal it kind of traffics in the same like natural magic that all Miyazaki movies traffic in but like it's just metal as fuck yeah just like all these like war gods bleeding yeah and, like tearing yeah, each other to shreds worms. Yeah. yeah and there are just some amazing action sequences in this movie too like I love her infiltration into or Princess Mononoke's infiltration into Iron Town like she and her two, the two wolf cubs who are just basically they look like big wolves, but they're like puny compared to Moro, the, the goddess. So they're or God. They like run up to the fortification of Irontown and has all of these huge spikes coming out. And then the wolf just like crushes its back into the spike and she flies up into the air and like stabs her spear into the wall and scuttles up it's just like everything is beautiful like the forest is beautiful there are all these hand-painted scenes but then like the action is so thrilling it's just like i am never bored watching this movie i love how there's a few like characters and creatures that just are non-verbal and don't make any noise at all like forest spirit Mm -hmm. um those little like yeah. What are those little like sh- shakers in the trees? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. Those what little guys. Called. Yeah. And they're like skeleton ghosts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, and there's others too, but it's like they're so like, <laughs> it's like I can see into their souls. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whenever you watch, like, they're entertaining and it's almost like 
they feel like characters even though they're not saying anything and it's yeah they have a strong presence yes mm-hmm. I, I feel like that goes to miyazaki as like an animator like if i sat down and tried to draw a character or something i couldn't bring something like that to light in something like that forest spirit is yeah. a pretty basic character but something about it like he breathes life into yeah. it as an animator I do like whenever it becomes like that little night ghoul or big uh-huh, night ghoul. The night so freaking cool. Oh yeah, and so he's pretty. sparkling. And- yeah. But Fern Gully has Robin Williams as a rapping bat. <laughs> and that's what y'all <laughs> that's are not true. appreciating You're right. here. And that's why this is a four and a half star movie. <laughs> well, we could praise Miyazaki all day. Yeah. I mean, every one of his movies are like I think exceptionally we're all, yeah. good. We're all in agreement yeah. that this yeah. is pretty It's one great, of the best. Right? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. fantastic. This I think this is his most metal for sure. Oh yeah, sure. it's Just, brutal. Yeah, the like the boar images, especially like yeah. oh my god, the last third of this movie is ridiculous. Oh, when the the troops are like hiding oh, under the and they're, like, boar skin, slithering around, and then oh my god, it's wild. Sick. But yeah, um, Miyazaki is pretty pretty much an established excellent like. There's no question about the quality of his movies. I had seen Perfect Blue and Princess Mononoke before, but like only since we started doing Swamp Flicks. Like I wrote reviews of them as I watched them. So I wanted to use this as an excuse to like cover a blind spot and like a major one. Recently I watched Cowboy Bebop and Neon Genesis for the first time. Um, I feel like this next movie, Akira from 1988. How, I, how have we not seen I know. it? Yeah, it just seems... Has anybody seen this before? No. Yeah. Okay, uh, Brittany had. Yeah. The biggest nerd in the room, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like, I always went to people's house and they had like the poster right. on the wall and yeah. it looked metal and I used badass to as hell. go like, to... I forgot that Barn Decatur, that's where the Whirling Dervish was. It was something called something else at this point, but they would like play Akira at the bar and Which I makes sense. There's the like a dive bar in the movie yeah, too. That works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. You just watched that Kanye West documentary recently. Do they mention Akira in that? Because I know it's like a big influence on him. I don't think so. But there's like I don't know. It's just like it just has like an iconic influence on culture to where like I felt like I knew what I was mm-hmm. going to be watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's only that movie for about 15 minutes. Yeah, I was totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's so much stranger. Though. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was the way, be a straightforward. Like, like an action, like, like bike a, game. Motorcycle yeah. games. Like a Blade yeah. Runner ripoff with motorcycles. Yeah. And, and they're on a motorcycle for a small portion <laughs> of the movie. Oh and God. you barely see, like, you know, the characters in their capsules, Do, jackets. The first time I see that little child alien goblin thing just like here is where it begins you know (laughs) so the first 15 minutes of akira are what you would expect by looking at the poster there's that guy in that cool leather jacket with the Mm -hmm. pillow on the back riding his future motorcycle that no one else can ride because he's got it specially tuned to his body what a cool Mm -hmm. dude and you know you're in neo tokyo in the distant future of 2019 right Um, (laughs) quick question about that jacket was that the inspiration for the red pill blue pill isn't that what's on his back? It's red and... I mean, would not doubt it because The Matrix is like one of the most anime, like... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, American totally. products. Should, I, it was a theory. I didn't look it up. But I mean, this is one of the like central like cyberpunk texts. Yeah. yeah. Ever. Right. This is like probably God and... I don't think this is right, but I want to say it's like the first big like cyberpunk thing like I mean, it came out in like media like this certainly had to be one of the most expensive yeah like, uh and it's based off of a long-running manga too so yeah. like 
maybe from literature to the screen maybe is like so. what's happening here. Yeah, wasn't the wasn't it like a billion dollars to make or something? It was is very that, expensive. Well, yeah. Maybe a billion, whatever yen. the yeah. Well, yeah Neo yen. Tokyo is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, Neo Tokyo is. Basically, a sky full of buildings. It's just like, like these island type <laughs> things. Like, it's weird. There's no <laughs> shot of the night sky because it's just been filled with, like, skyscrapers. And you mm-hmm. watch all these motorcycle gangs just, like, raise hell in these, like, abandoned parts of town. It's just complete anarchy. And then they all get arrested. And this guy... Um, I, I don't fucking know his name. Just, I, I don't, yeah. Character no, names. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Like, the anti-hero <laughs> so of the piece... Hard sees a girl that he thinks is cute. Oh, it's Canada. Canada. Because I kept thinking, every time I said it, I thought of Canada. So Canada, Canada. Canada's oh, just Canada. like this like kid who doesn't take life very seriously, just loves joyriding on his motorcycle. He sees a girl at the police station um, who looks like she's like kind of sweating, like not wanting to be questioned. And he also thinks she's very cute. So he like says, oh yeah, she was with us. Um, let her go um, when you let us go. Turns out she's, like, a revolutionary who's, like, trying to overthrow this, like, government conspiracy. So, like, as he's, like, chasing skirts, she's, like, on some real shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, so you want to get tea later? She's like, I have real concerns. I'm an adult. I'm about to go blow up a building. <laughs> so through this, like, terrorist conspiracy network thing, and one of his friends gets involved deeply in the conspiracy, he uncovers this, like plot from when neo tokyo was established um instead of like an atomic blast it was like this singularity event very neon genesis evangelion if you've ever seen that like it's kind of the similar plot Mm -hmm. but basically there's like these children who have telekinetic powers and can be exploited by this like science government to harness their power to like basically restart the universe and like a new big bang Mm -hmm. um and you know of course the government wants to harness this as like a military Uh. weapon so the child, the girl, the little girl character, um, I can't think of her name. Whenever you're talking about like Aileen, I kept thinking <laughs> that, like, is that what she looked like? Yeah, all the children look like <laughs> old people shrunken down, just like Aileen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe not just like Aileen. They have a little bit of like yeah. a Romero right. zombie makeup they're thing going on. Definitely elderly children. Yeah, they're elderly children. Yeah. Aileen-esque. And they all worship this one child who's been missing um, since the blast named Akira Mm -hmm. who's been locked away and by unleashing Akira from their like locked prison and bringing them back into the world uh, they start reaching a new singularity which is represented on screen through this gigantic Cronenbergian mess oh of my flesh. gosh so good long live the shunt yes uh, <laughs> the shunt is that back. is exactly what I there thought was of. like a lot of things bursting too oh god yeah just gooey muscly flesh mm, fluid and then the kids are having these like kind of like petty squabbles while the world is ending around them in this like Cronenbergian mess I expected motorcycle chases yeah. for two hours <laughs> it's not that yeah it's um, way weirder. I want to say it was, I think it was 5.5 million. So it definitely wasn't a billion. And I apologize. Okay. I was like, <laughs> what? Well, you said a billion dollars. I just saw that number somewhere and I was like, I believe you. Um, <laughs> it might even have been a joke and I didn't realize. But I wanted to watch Akira for a long time. And I think I would like start it, like not even start the movie, just like pull it up on my computer. And then... The idea of what I thought it was always kind of stopped me from 
watching it. I was like, you know, I have to see this for you know, just to cover my blind spot, basically. But I'm not necessarily super interested in the. But I I knew nothing about the story, and this was uh, this is totally like my shit. Like I love this cyberpunk stuff, and specifically, I love creepy children with telekinetic powers being mm. controlled by the government <laughs> like that is everything that i like i liked the uh, the little chunkier one that was floating around <laughs> he reminded me of swan from phantom of the paradise yeah! <laughs> oh my god absolutely there's just something like so influential about that setup that like yeah it was recalling neon genesis recalling yeah. flcl mm-hmm. violence voyager which you've mentioned all of those already the in this conversation shebang. yeah also and it's the ending was very much 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, my God. It did come after that one. <laughs> it did? Like, yeah, yeah. Ending well, ending was so some... disturbing to me and, like, haunting. Yeah. Like, yeah, haunting and oh, quiet in, like, a It just makes way. me think about mm-hmm. death a bunch. Honestly, the ending really, I thought, was, like, very thought-provoking. Yeah. And, like, especially given the history of Japan, they had a nuclear right. bomb dropped on them and the whole, this kind of message of, like, destruction can lead to rebirth yeah. into a new nation and there was like something really profound in that ending in the same way that 2001 it's kind of this profound yeah. thing and uh i don't know i thought that was pretty inspiring the cool thing about the possibilities with just animation in general like like i really see it with this movie where the imagination it was just like unleashed that like there's no way all the no not all the money in the world couldn't make this like a live action movie and it's just right. kind of and they're trying to right now shut your mouth yeah. what Taika Waititi was supposed to direct it and he dropped <gasps> out yeah it's, it's such like a terrible new. idea like yeah to do they this. tried to do like live like anime movies like they've done like live Dragon Ball Z yeah um, <sighs> it's bad yeah like they they all just turn out Last real Airbender, bad right yeah yeah there is a live action version of um perfect blue you can watch on youtube sorry, and it's so boring <laughs> i watched like <laughs> oh five God. minutes of it i'm like i can't do this <laughs> not even for homework yeah but i don't know like this is just like especially like the end of this like you know when a freaking akira is unleashed right and you know neo tokyo is just getting purely destroyed like it is right. just so crazy to watch and it, it felt just as impactful as like watching a live action movie right like particularly that bridge scene where the bridge starts collapsing and then everyone starts sliding down and mm-hmm. cars start crushing sick. people it is sick yeah. yeah really every single part is visually stunning yeah. like the city itself neo tokyo is so cool very interesting like very fun settings even the dive bar is like very atmospheric and then the scenes where like when um the I don't remember what the other... I think it, maybe it's Tetsuo, but it might be someone That's Tetsuo's else. Tetsuo's right, yeah. Yeah, Tetsuo in the hospital when the other telekinetic children are trying to, like, scare him with the big, like, stuffed animals, and then he's, like, swimming oh, in yeah. milk. Like, that was so weird. That's very paprika, because yeah, they come exactly. in like a, like, um, kind of cute parade. I've never yeah, seen exactly. paprika, so. Oh, my God, oh. it's so... We it's just, like, it's milk nightmare. <laughs> I'll end it Count to you. In. Okay, great. And then, like, the explosions, like, the, like... You know, a laser beam firing from the sun or from a satellite structure. and Like, every single part was just visually awe-inspiring. And also, like, how 
freaking violent it is. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. From, from the very beginning, like, there's um, the guy that gets shot, and he doesn't just get shot. Oh, he my just God. gets, like, eviscerated. Right. Like, the bullets are just ripping his flesh. I'm like, oh, my God. I think that's a that's a gif. People make it made that into a gif. <laughs> really? Like, just the, him, him being riddled yeah. by bullets. I, I think the only thing... Like, this movie is so much visual stuff going on that's so interesting. Like, kind of wish the characters were maybe a little more fleshed out. I mean, after watching, like, a Miyazaki where everybody has layers, but then I don't think you would get all the visuals. It really is mm-hmm. just, like, a feast for the eyes, and the characters are kind of secondary. Yeah. yeah, the one thing that bothered me, I guess, was I didn't really care that much about Tetsuo. Like, basically, he was just friends with Canada, but also like a, there was some rivalry I don't know I just didn't feel like it seemed like he was just kind of randomly this guy that could hold all of this power and maybe that's part of the point like everybody mm-hmm. has that capacity within them yeah. but I thought and then his, they can't control it when they right. get it Mm-mm. but I thought his like story wasn't super interesting and and if it had been more compelling I feel like I would have been like fully, fully yeah, invested. Yeah, I guess a more streamlined version is that Canada is the one that like has this like secret past that he doesn't remember and like gets roped into like becoming the new god right. or flesh monster or whatever the fuck happens <laughs> at the end of this. <laughs> but again, some of the images in here, like if you've seen it, you're just never gonna forget it. Yeah, like, I want to like not underplay the motorcycle thing as being part oh of my that god. too. Like. Yeah, they're so beautifully rendered. Yeah. Like just the mm-hmm. tail lights, sort of streaking oh, I do across like the that. screen, yeah. like Gorgeous. animation smears. Yeah, like, so yeah. beautiful. I also love like the. I would like more um, bike gang rivalry between the capsules and the clowns. Right? The clowns, yes. the clowns. <laughs> yeah, the the bike that chases been cool. were so fun. What yeah. a bunch of clowns! <laughs> I also. <laughs> I also just loved watching Canada drive any vehicle. Like yeah. he he uh he just looks so <laughs> what a cool at home. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> he looks so at home on his motorcycle and I was like, "Yeah, that's cool." And then he doesn't ride anything for an extended period of time and then he gets in those sewers and he gets that like ski ski do thing yeah. and I'm like, "Yeah, Canada." <laughs> he and just can't like, stop oh. riding. No, he loves to ride. <laughs> um and I love that for him. Well, Brittany, I feel like you got the deepest into the anime back catalog that we did. <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> so we're deep in it now. Mm-hmm. The film that I selected is Vampire Hunter D from 1985. I don't I don't think it was like released in the US until like the early 90s. So this is actually based on like a massive series of books. Yeah. I think Akira is also like way bigger than the story we see yeah, too. It, like there's yeah. like an even deeper plot. It definitely so, is. I got the first book in high school, and then whenever I moved here, Borders and Metairie closed, and I got, like, 13 other books, and I was like, I think I'm set. Hell yeah. I'm sorry. There's, like, 39 of no, them. No. It's <laughs> too wow. much. They, um, so the author of those, of the books, um, gosh, I'm gonna potentially botch this, um, Hideyuki Kikuchi, he also wrote, like, Wicked City. Mm-hmm. which is kind of in that same realm. He has been writing these books since 1983 to like today. The The most recent one came out, I think in like 2021. Like, wow. Amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Each one, like at least from what I've read, there are some that kind of like intertwine with each other, but it almost feels like a new fresh, 
like episode where you just got your main character with new other characters. Yeah. In this universe. Yeah, like an anthology, but he's kind of the guiding. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Connecting all of it. So this film um, was directed by Toyo Ishida, and he directed uh, Fist of the North Star, which is another pretty prominent anime. Writing that down. <laughs> Not even heard of that. Yeah, it's um, and it's also like one from like the 80s as well. So 80s anime. The setting is super interesting. Yes. It is this post-apocalyptic future, but like everyone has kind of reverted to this old world country style of living. It's like a Renfair future. <laughs> yeah, Renfair for future. sure. And there's really cool weapons that are very futuristic, <laughs> but that's kind of it. Um, and there's also a bunch of just ghouls roaming the land. Mutants. Loose mutants and ghouls. <laughs> um, the way that this movie starts out is like, boom, in your face. Like, immediately our main character, who has um, such a great anime name, Doris, <laughs> where there's like Doris, Dan, and D. Yeah. There's very, very chill names in here. So Doris is... You know, walking the lands. No pants. <laughs> no pants. <laughs> Someone get Doris Tiny some pants. <laughs> yeah. Her panties are just fully out. Yeah. Kind of see her underwear. Yeah. yeah. Not kind of. Like, yeah. You could just see her underwear. Usually in anime, like, there's a lot of upskirt shots. I'm like, oh, that's kind of in poor taste. But in this, her she's skirt, like wearing no skirt. It stops like not even halfway from her butt. It's like right <laughs> on where your butt crack starts. Yeah. It's kind of like where her skirt is. Dear right. Lord. <laughs> And she has these like pigtails. <laughs> she just she looks um, a mess. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she is in distress. Exactly. So she's a little bit about Doris. Lives on a farm. Um, does not have her her parents with her, but she's raising her younger brother Dan. Um, and I the dubbed voice of Dan is whew, Chef's Kiss. <laughs> um, but Doris um, gets attacked by a noble vampire mm-hmm. immediately and gets bit by him. And his name is Magnus Lee. I'm like, is this is like a nod to Christopher Lee. So she's bitten by him and then becomes his like love interest. Like this is my new human toy. And this is where we also start to realize that everyone is horny for Doris in this movie. Yes. Everybody. So Doris is like, crap, I have been bitten. I'm going to turn. Don't want to turn. And she runs into our main character, D. Just D. Vampire Hunter D. So D is a vampire hunter and has like the coolest look ever. There's like this, the biggest like brim on a hat mm-hmm. that you've ever seen in your life. Huge hat. <laughs> Massive hat. Long, long, long black hair, like Peter Steele. Um, but he's like really like slender and mysterious and doesn't talk too much. Kind of starts, he talks a little more at the end, but um, very quiet. It's like a romance novel character. Like he's very yeah. like stoic mm-hmm. and manly. But not very romantic. But haunted. <laughs> he did, he also seemed like a very typical like male anime lead. Like yeah. very stoic and extremely powerful and like unbelievably so. Um, and he just. Also with a weird um, little hand. With his like hand. So the thing about D, I'm glad you mentioned that, (laughs) is he has like this hand that talks to him and that um, (laughs) eats dirt to keep keep him, um, keep D. Is that ever explained? 
You're gonna have to read thirty nine. You have to get through thirty nine <laughs> volumes. <laughs> I don't. Go I don't deep know. Deep cuts. Deep cuts. Damn. The deep cuts. Deep cuts. It, so his hand reminds me a lot of like how Venom is, mm-hmm. um, in the movie Venom with the main character, just kind of like you know badgering him a little bit and goofing off. Well, um, Doris hires D to essentially kill Magnus for her so that she doesn't turn and. Um, her payment is like, I can give you um, a place to stay and some food if you kill this 10,000-year-old vampire <laughs> for me. Um, and he accepts. So D, Doris, and Dan, the Triple D crew, they are um, walking through the village and they happen upon Greco. So Greco Ugh. is like Gaston from yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Like, totally. He knows that Doris got bitten and he wants her and he's basically like I can hire the best vampire hunters in town you just gotta like literally like give yourself to me totally and she kind of knees him and is like yeah F you I've got vampire hunter D (laughs) pisses off Greco Greco tells the entire village she's bitten she's hiding her neck and everyone kind of freaks out but not as much as like one would think and almost immediately, Dr. I always forget his damn name. Dr. Ferengo, who is like her, almost like her father figure, family friend, is like, no, no, we can't send her away to this like horrible place and like keep her captive because she's bitten. And Dee's able to kind of persuade them. And because, yeah, he's going to go kill the vampire and solve the problems. And later on, at the Doris and Dan farm... Magnus's henchmen arrive, and there's Regency, and I always forget her name, but his, essentially his daughter show up, and they have their first like big battle with D. D's able to kind of ward them off, and he then makes his way to the castle to defeat Magnus, and that is where um, he comes across the what do they call the snake women? Oh man! Snake Women and Midwitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the coolest scene in the movie. Yes, yes. Yeah. I know. I, want, I forgot to write it down, but yes, the best I'm like scene. So cool. That is 100 percent my favorite scene. So the Snake Women like capture him, and like their faces turn from snakes to like defined like female faces, and back and forth. And these are some filthy bitches. Oof. They like orgasmically drain right. him for like a <laughs> day. Yeah, yeah. It's like ah, uh, they're the horny for his blood. Hot. The energy scene the that movie, they derive. <laughs> It gives them so much pleasure. Why can't snake women trap me? Right? (laughs) And then he's like, he's too powerful. They're like, oh, we're so, we've been feeling so much pleasure for a day. (laughs) When is this going to stop? What will we do? What a great dub. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is probably the worst dubbed one out of all of them. It's very corny. (laughs) By a mile. I did watch the subtitled version. Of this oh, one? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. missed out. No, I, I thought the dubs were kind of entertaining. <laughs> They're fun, yeah. I listened to the first two scenes, and then I was like, I'm going to try the subtitles. Can't do it. <laughs> Especially, oh my God, that Gaston character, he has like... Sounds like Gambit a little bit. Well, he has this like southern... 
Hi, hi, my lady. I'm here to sweep you off your feet. Uh, you don't want to go with that vampire hunter. I got a better vampire hunter than you. I kind of liked watching this dubbed because I don't know. It felt like the most stereotypical anime. Yeah, for anyway, sure. Anyway, because it has all those like fight scenes where like the uh, background just becomes this like kind of green screen like blur as they like summon energy to like fight each other. <laughs> yeah. So like hearing the like. What I grew up watching on like Pokemon and stuff, yeah. like hearing that style yeah. of like dub kind of, you know, felt oh, right. Yeah. You're not the, the hunter I'm looking for. Wait, hold on. <laughs> you are the hunter I'm looking for. It's kind of adorable. <laughs> yeah. It really did feel like an episode, like a long episode of television. But that's what OVAs feel like. This is like a straight to video yeah. thing. And they all kind of feel like a pilot for a TV show that never got picked up. Right. Yeah. But after watching these other three... <laughs> but it's three a 40 that, book series. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's what's up. But after watching these other three and then watching this one, it was like such kind of easy watching. It was just like, oh, it's like a Saturday morning and I'm just watching... Yeah. But it's also hyper-violent. It's, it's a fun, simplistic watch. Um, the big thing about Vampire Hunter D that I have failed to mention is... Vampire Hunter D is a dampier, which means that he is half vampire and half human. That's what the D stands for. That's D. Oh, okay. I thought it was dick. <laughs> well, it is dick. Might as well but be. That's the subtext. And there's moments where he, the vampire side of him comes out, uh, particularly when he's around Doris. And mm. <laughs> when his vampire teeth come out, it is disgusting. It's not I, hot at all. It's like, it almost looks as if he's becoming like a saber-toothed tiger animal. Like, it's not those sexy little, like, you know, pokes that come out on the side, canines. It's just disgusting and drooling, <laughs> he drools and stuff, which I think is very fun. Long story short, there is a lot of going back and forth at his fucking castle. Like, Doris gets kidnapped. He rescues her. Right. Brings and her then <laughs> she goes back. <laughs> um, one of the funniest parts to me is where um, at some point, Dr. For, um, I keep wanting to call him Ferrigno, like, like Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep calling him that. Yeah. Where it's revealed that some at some point he turns into a vampire. Mm-hmm. We don't know when. It doesn't happen like at all in the film. It's just he reveals himself to be a vampire and then he's like, oh, I'm a vampire and I am horny for you now. <laughs> and, and he immediately is like, I, I looked at you as a grandchild but now I want to just, you know, bang you and suck your blood. And um, he ends up getting like, you know, pushed off a cliff and dies because he pisses off um, Magnus's daughter mm-hmm. because um, she does not want to share Doris with him. So I think that's a very fun moment. Um, But like I said, there's a lot of back and forth. But the ending, which I think we're cool to talk about the ending because I think it's important and exciting, is D ends up, you know, winning. And Magnus is left in this like crumbling castle to die. And it is revealed that D is um, the son of Count Dracula. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Yes. That's also very 
anime thing where like the protagonist is found to be just the most powerful possible person and right. everyone's like impossible <laughs> <He's-> <laughs> and it's the way that they show it is like he looks at a portrait of Dracula and then just looks back at oh D&D they- <laughs> it can't be uncanny <laughs> so yes this is I just think that this is a, a, just a good anime film like this was one of like the first anime movies i watched so it was kind of like my gateway Mm -hmm. into it kind of and there is a more well-known vampire hunter d film and it's vampire hunter d bloodlust that came out in um kind of like the the mid late 90s and the animation is like a million times better um and i think the director was actually like yeah i kind of wish that Vampire Hunter D would have been made at that time, so it could look better. <laughs> I love the animation. Yeah, in this. I thought I really liked the drawing style. Like the lines were very thin yes. and kind of spindly. It's very dark. Yeah, like, the scene. There's not like a lot of like I don't know scenery if that makes sense, which I think mm-hmm. is kind of interesting because you focus on the characters a lot more. Yeah, it's really like deserty. Yeah, old world. It reminded me New of world. like um. Mm. The 70s, like, stoner fantasy movies where there's just, like, a bunch of weird goblins and doodads, like, walking around. So it, like, tapped into, like, that part of my brain where, like, truth be told, I don't need to watch good movies. I just need to watch, like, movies with cool-looking monsters in them. Mm -hmm. I could just be totally satisfied with, like... Just different monster designs parading across the screen for 90 snake minutes. Snake women and midwitch until the cows come home. Yeah. 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 And like, this has plenty of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like super saturated monsters too. Like this is a brown landscape and this this guy is purple and green. Yeah. And this, it's like it doesn't make any sense. Or like the horse. Yeah. <laughs> the horse just kind oh, of yeah. blends into oh, the background. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like those monsters when they enter the castle. Yeah. There's just like monster after monster and they just all look kind of weird. They're and gross. Just gross. <laughs> They're all disgusting. Yeah, I think what I liked the most was like, it's a cool world. Like the world building. Yeah, it's kind of like a Western, but mm-hmm. also with that gothic, what are those called? Like the hammer films? Hammer horror. Yeah. Hammer horror. Yeah. Like, he was influenced by hammer horror oh, uh, when oh, he was yeah. writing. Yeah. So yeah, I like the world that this is set in. Yeah. It's cool. I didn't realize that this was set in the future until like 20 minutes in. Even when she had that like electric whip, for some reason I was like, yeah, this is, this makes sense. (laughs) And then I think it wasn't until they were like hunkering down in the house and she was like chugging up a force field or I was like, oh, hold on. (laughs) uh, Something's not adding up for me here. And yeah, I just loved it. I love it when people just don't give a shit. They're like, we want everything from every every cool thing from any time. Yeah. Mm. Anytime. I think that the time period almost feels not very important. Right. To like the telling of this tale. Nah. Like it is it is cool to know that it is in the future. Right. Um, and for some reason in the future we decided to go back to like the olden days yeah but um we just stop wearing pants that's kind of exciting but yeah. other than that like i think that this you could just go on thinking that you're in like medieval right. times and you're like yeah that makes sense yeah it might as well just be a totally different planet yeah like yeah like cool what Anything. i love about the setting is that like it hedged its bets in a way akira didn't we're like akira was set 30 years into the future 
in oh, 2019. Right. This, this one's like year 12,985. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wait. I'm like, what? How many? It's like, yeah, 20,000 blah, blah, blah AD. And I kept thinking like, what year? I'll never get there. <laughs> what? It's like not happening. It's like watching you're like, damn, that was like three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Right. Oh, my. Does the world feel better than that version of 2019? I don't know. I mean, we're close. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting we're there. there. Yeah. Oh, stop. <laughs> no. Uh, but I think that we all made very good selections that like tapped into different like eras of mm-hmm. anime. Yeah. And that's good. And we didn't plan this. I think no. we just like when we make our choices, it's very like off the cuff. Like, yeah, let's watch this. Yeah. Sure. Watch this. Uh, also picked some of the bloodiest, very gory. Oh, these were brutal. <laughs> Horribly gory movies. Yeah, we could have done like something contemporary, like Your Name or something that was right. like sweeter. There's a lot of like good teen yeah. romance anime that we didn't touch on, or like any other Miyazaki movie. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> we went the most brutal way possible. Uh, but I love it, you know, because uh, uh, life is brutal, and you know, just because it's animated doesn't mean it's not uh, violent and terrifying. This felt very like when I started watching all these movies. I'm like, oh, this will be a nice like escape. <laughs> And I will say Princess Mononoke felt like an escape. Vampire uh-huh. Hunter D felt like an escape. Akira did not feel like an escape. <laughs> no. My bad. Um, and sure. Perfect Blue, E, kind of, I guess. But Akira like <laughs> really got me thinking. And I'm like, is this what's going to happen? <laughs> I think it <laughs> already did world? happen. But, yeah. yeah. But uh, Akira's not coming to wipe it away. Do you have like, a clear like idea what you would want to watch next? Because I feel like the most major blind spot I have left is like Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of embarrassing mm-hmm. I haven't seen that. But I don't know if there's like one that you're like, I cannot believe I haven't seen this yet. I'm sure there's several Miyazaki movies. Like I haven't seen Grave of the Fireflies because it sounds too sad. Oh my God, it's so sad. I don't even know <laughs> if I recommend that movie. It, <laughs> too sad. It's just so sad. Like, oh God, the just the most horrible. Uh, just watching two children um, try to survive alone. Mm. Um, it's bad. It's a good movie, but it'll make you cry. I actually haven't seen Neon Genesis. It's on Netflix now. It's very I gotta, good. Gotta see it. Yeah. I've heard many good I things. I think y'all would love it. Yeah. At least based on like how y'all reacted to Akira. It's got a lot yeah. of similar Ooh, themes. Yes. Um, it's just a mech suit show instead of like a motorcycle thing. Yeah. Love it. It's good stuff. We probably will bring up anime again, but I would hope that we would do it sort of organically like... Like James was saying earlier, if we do like a, you know, cyberpunk episode, maybe we could do Ghost in the Shell then or something like that. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to do like um like an anime food porn episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Because yes. some anime has like, oh. like the best like food in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Miyazaki Agreed. movies usually they do. have yeah. yeah. Ooh, pretty, House pretty Moving solid. Castle has oh. such good food. Yes. I just remember them eating blood and flesh in Princess Mononoke. I don't remember any good food in that <laughs> they, one. A lot of rice porridge. Okay. Yeah. Rice porridge. Oh, you know what? Also the <laughs> anime meat, gruel. Like the jerky that she she like chews it up for yes. him when he's that feeds like, like a, a bird. baby bird. Yeah, that left a real <laughs> so impression sweet. on me. I had a fantasy of like helping someone in that way of like chewing meat for them as a child. Um, and I just it really <laughs> this is a very doable fetish. Yeah, yeah, and it really did make me like beef jerky a lot. So oh, I know. 
Yeah, yeah, I got a uh, beef jerky in my Easter basket and I <gasps> watched that and then I'm like, I should probably eat that. Yeah. And I eat it. I'd also recommend Bell from this year if y'all if y'all are interested in like a new one. I thought that was very good. I liked seeing that in the theater. I don't even know if I've heard of that. It's like a pop star thing, kind of like Ooh. Perfect Blue, but it's like in an alternate reality ben. version oh, of the cool. internet where she's like, you know, just like a shy teen in real life, but you know, she's famous online. Yeah. It's like, like Britney Spears type pop star. Ooh, I love it's it. It's fun stuff. Yeah. Cool. Uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about another 90s thriller about a serial killer that deals a lot with like retro internet stuff around the time, kind of like Perfect Blue. Oh. Uh, we're going to be talking about Copycat, uh, which is this like post- Sounds of the Lambs thriller starring Sigourney Weaver and uh, Holly Hunter. Oh, and cool. Harry Connick Jr. Harry Connick Jr. plays yeah. a real creep in that <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, it's cool. really good. Um, it's new to Hulu, too, if you're looking for a nice thriller to watch before we discuss it. It's readily available. Nice. And we'll talk to you all then. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.